Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Lawrence Talks, a podcast dedicated to exploring local events and introducing philosophical and humanities topics to the general public. I am your host, David Tamez. Today, we continue our coverage of state and local elections. Uh, with that, I'd like to welcome Democratic candidate for District 2 of Douglas County Commission, Shannon Reed. Shannon, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me, David. I am really looking forward to this. I'm new to your podcast in the past six months or so, well, fewer than that. Um, I'm really excited to be a guest and get to know a little bit more about you and have this conversation. Well, thank you for that. Um, And the way I like to uh, have these discussions or start these discussions, uh, at least with, uh, with all the candidates, is to begin discussing who they are as persons, who they who they think uh, what they think is important in, in getting across to uh, to voters and to people generally, um, especially in this time when maybe getting to meet other people and getting around and and really getting uh, allowing people to get a sense of who you are may be greatly uh, uh, prohibited or at least. Uh, you may be prevented from doing so in a, in a, in a strong sense due to the pandemic. Um, I'd, like to, I'd like to begin there. Who is Shannon Reed, the person? I am a, so I'm a townie, um, which is, you know, a point of pride for me. I grew up in mostly East Lawrence, Southeast Lawrence also, um, when I was a KU student and an RA in Hashinger Hall, I got awarded the best townie during our like annual resident awards and was given a pink yard flamingo that said best townie. And it's probably the greatest award I've ever gotten. Um, so I'm really proud to be from this place. Lawrence and Douglas County community really raised me. Um, I grew up experiencing pretty abject poverty, a lot of housing instability, I had a lot of trauma, family trauma and family violence that it created a lot of trauma in my life. It also created a lot of opportunity to some degree for my own personal worldview, I think, um, because I learned a lot about myself and about what it means to um, survive through adversity and what it means to have community with people who helped to really um, keep me safe enough and care for me um, and and make sure that my needs were being met um, because, you know, to sort of make up for uh, what wasn't happening at home. And so for me, my experience is so rooted in this community of how I was taught to really care for and take responsibility for my neighbors and for the people that I'm in community with, um, and most particularly the people who are vulnerable and experience um, all sorts of oppression and have all sorts of uh, adverse experiences that really influence the trajectory of life. And so I, I feel like I'm really of this place and having been grown, having been raised with the values to take care of each other. And um, by the time I was in junior high, the beginning, so seventh grade, I was introduced to volunteer opportunities and kind of what nonprofits were and what service looked like in the communities. So doing things like uh, with the school's key club and um, doing different types of charity fundraising projects and service projects at um, 
Link, the inter interdenominational nutrition kitchen and serving food there, doing some work with the old homeless shelter when it was downtown. And um, that experience both saved me in a lot of ways and also inspired, I think, what has become a lifetime full of service to other people and just being really rooted in having connections to other humans and hearing their stories and uh, holding space for people because that's what people here did for me. That's what teachers did for me. That's what um, social service agencies did for me and my mom. So those are values that I hold really core to, to my being and have um, turned that into kind of a career of service and doing nonprofit work, mostly in the realm of advocacy and working one-on-one -on -one with folks who are experiencing a multitude of barriers to a multitude of issues. And it's um, very nuanced and multi-layered. And I have, I have a lot of capacity for empathy and actively listening to people and what their stories are and how they've been impacted by other people in their lives, systems in their lives, um, good and bad. And really from there being able to think about what could be different and what solutions there might be to those issues um, that are very people-centered first and uh, trauma-informed and really holding space for people to, to be able to speak to their lived experiences of trauma and just those adverse experiences that really color our lives. And those are things that I was conditioned as a child to some degree um, to never speak of and to not give any space to and to hide and avoid because they're uncomfortable, because they're taboo. Um, you know, there's a lot of cultural conditioning to that, I think. And luckily, I was, I had a lot of enlightened witnesses along the way that showed me a different path. And it was possible to uh, hold space for that and speak truth to those experiences and acknowledge that harm happened and that harm can be transformed. And so that experience of my childhood here um, and kind of being raised by a community of people has really translated into me trying to lead by example in that way in all the work that I do um, as, a, as an advocate, especially in my job at the Willow, to just lead with connection to people and vulnerability and openness and uh, make sure that folks have safe spaces to uh, have their stories heard and then have their requests heard and answered to by the people who surround them that uh, can and should be providing support. That's what saved my life. And so I believe that that connection is the point at which we help save each other collectively and save our communities. Great. Thank you, Shannon. And, and I think I wanted to uh, pick up on this. You you said you're you're a townie, and you you've uh, received an award for for being for being the best townie. Um, yeah, I so I've my, my wife and I have been here for almost uh, going on six years now. So I wanted to, I wanted to get a sense of what you take to be as someone who's who's lived in Lawrence uh, for for most of, for all of your life. What you take to be the values of the community, given in light of the, the time you spent and and getting to know people and, and and doing the work that you that you've done, what sort of values do you do you sort of take take out of the community or represent the community the most? 
good question. Um, well, I think community is actually kind of the number one value that I've learned. And, um, you know, that became really clear to me when I, I moved to New York and when I was 21 and lived there for about four and a half years. And <clears throat> with each passing year of my time in New York, I realized how disconnected from community I felt and how difficult it was for me to find that that feeling um, that I had just so naturally grown up with here. And um, so to me, Lawrence really exhibits, Lawrence especially, because especially that's my childhood experience, um, really exhibits the power of community and connection to each other and um, actual responsibility for taking care of one another. So I think community is number one for me. And, um, and I think that uh, change is the other one and just a willingness and ability to change for the better. I think that our uh, community to, to some degree has a commitment to that. It's a struggle um, sometimes and change is, is, is not always um, forward moving and doesn't always have the momentum. But when I look at the breadth of my life and experience here, I have seen a lot of change happen here. I've seen a lot of change start here in Lawrence and Douglas County that has had ripple effects throughout the rest of the state and the region. And um, so I think that's something I really value and believe that we have the capacity to keep pushing for that and finding new and better ways to do things and new and better ways to take care of each other and really create a safe and healthy community for as many people as possible um, and do so together by gathering and by pooling resources and by thinking outside the box. And those are things that I, I feel like I've been taught that by the by the teachers that I've had, by the groups and organizations that I've volunteered with or um, been involved with politically that uh, really pooling people power and resources and community together in the name of caring for each other uh, is what changes systems and it's what changes the way of doing things um, as prescribed on paper by legislators or by policies. Uh, that people really have a unique capacity and, and way of pushing for change here in this community and I think that that's something that was pretty ingrained in me by being from here and something that pulled me back here too, because when I left at 21, I definitely thought I'll never, ever return to my hometown um, because we're, we all just run away from our hometowns or most of us do anyway. And so I certainly never thought that I would be back here at the age of 21, um, but in a matter of years felt very pulled by that, um, by the sense of community and then by the capacity I felt there was to actually change and make and move things forward in this place that I'm from and how cool it would be to come back and be a part of that and really changing how this community can, continues to evolve and taking care of each other. Yeah, I, I think that that tracks with a great deal of, of what I've come to uh, admire and and uh, really love about Lawrence's no, maybe no community or no city is is perfect in terms of justice and uh, being completely on uh, on track with it. 
But at least I think within the case of Lawrence, there is this very uh, deliberative and concerted effort by many, if not all of the members of the community to be at least thinking about what or what the right thing to, uh, to do is and what um, a good community looks like. Um, that seems to be, uh, I think, on the minds of um, many, uh, again, if not all of the community uh, members of the community, just about every every day. And I think I've, I've again, as I mentioned, I, um, I don't want people to get tired of me mentioning that oh, I'm a philosopher. Um, but I, it, it's it's uh, it's interesting in that, and to me, in in both the the personal level and uh, in terms of my my academic interest of how this community is so concerned with uh, being a good and just community. Yeah, I think there's a real uniqueness to this place about um, if you weren't from here, you didn't grow up here, but you came here, whether it's for college or a job, and even if and when you move away, uh, I just know so many people who feel pulled back here, and I think feel pulled back here by by the energy of that, and they're feeling like there's real opportunity and a good environment for that kind of breeds change and and thought and ideas um, that actually have some space to to move and go forward. So people get pulled back here by that energy a lot i think and and give so but uh, and given all this uh this this sort of leads to to the next question that i have what sort of things have you observed uh over the last few months or even the last few years that have compelled you to run for office uh particularly this spot in in, in the douglas county commission what have you seen in our in our community that that has ca- caused you or motivated you to to run for office yeah i would say the the number one issue, uh, the number one political issue that has been kind of top of mind for so many people in our community, uh, including me, has been the jail expansion issue on the county level. And I've been involved with that, with opposing the jail expansion since the beginning, very much in part because of my work at the Willow, uh, doing support groups and individual meetings with uh, trauma survivors in the jail and having more of a perspective about uh, about people's experiences in our local jail and feeling very clear that we there are a lot of gaps still to close in to work on closing in social services and rehabilitation services and recovery services in our community for folks to be able to have as an alternative to jail, but also prevention and um, a way to stay out of jail. It's a multi-layered issue that I have felt concerned we have not dug into the roots of some of those issues very deeply at all because we have been fighting a county commission that has been stubbornly pursuing a jail expansion project that voters have quite clearly made evident that we do not want and we do not believe we need and hoped that we could move the conversation to more robust alternatives and services for that really care for people. And then we found ourselves in January of 2020 after those years of pushing back and, and trying to change the trajectory of the conversation 
And watching the county commission make a choice to vote in favor of spending nearly $30 million on a project that our community has been screaming we don't want and that showed up that day, Kansas Day, in January of 2020 to say again, we do not want this and ask for another opportunity to vote. And to watch all of the commissioners then read prepared statements. Um, that they came to that meeting with seemingly after hearing all of the public comment and was a, was a non-responsive way to engage with the community. And that was really disappointing to me after having been and tried to engage in a variety of ways through my vote, through supporting the efforts of the Jail Known campaign and doing voter education and awareness around the systemic issues that our county was facing and not addressing, quite frankly, uh, after trying to talk to my and compel my commissioner to, along with hundreds of other people, to change the trajectory of that conversation. The message received was that there was a refusal to do so and that our voices didn't matter. And that was a pretty disheartening and uh, it, it was a disheartening point of frustration for me in January. And I didn't really know where to go with that because it felt like we had really exhausted all efforts. And, um, you know, the jail is, it's the the one big policy issue, the one big vote that that our community has been having a conversation or trying to have a conversation with the county commission for for years which is not to say that there aren't a lot of other issues that are affected by and impacted by the county commission, but that one has really overshadowed a lot and remained a focus instead of being able to move forward to more solutions-based, evidence-driven services for our community um, and really exploring those models. And that's disappointing to me. And so I'm really interested in being a county commissioner to have a fresh perspective to the issue, somebody who is not in in my district in particular, a new person in that seat after our current commissioner has been there for several terms in a row and over over a decade. I think that that representation needs to needs change sometimes and needs new voices at the table that have a different lens through which they both consume and process information and data and anecdotes that are available to us from the people in our community. So um, immediately after that meeting in January, I just felt pretty stuck and didn't know what what the other options were because they had made the decision. And I was frustrated, but I didn't know what to do with that. And in the spring, it that turned into realizing that there was an opportunity to uh, run for county commission and try and get a a seat at that table and have be in a position to uplift the voices of the people that I work with every day, the people that I organize stuff with every day, and really bring those issues to the forefront of the county conversation and do so in a way that is forward thinking, very excited about and eager for change and is willing to look for all the different nuanced ways that we can affect policy and change our budgets to better reflect the values of this community. I just believe that the status quo has to be constantly questioned and that our future should be constantly reimagined. And so I think that I bring that to the table 
and I'm very willing to have conversations with all kinds of people based on all kinds of worldviews and viewpoints. I mean, I have a lot of practice doing that in the work that I do. And also just being, a, I think, a, for as introverted as I feel sometimes, I'm also extremely interested in people and social connections. And so I've spent my whole life listening to people and paying attention to what their perspectives are and how they're different from mine and and always growing in knowing how other people perceive issues and being willing to change my mind on some things or realize deepen my understanding of things because of what I didn't yet know. And so I think that that's something I really bring to the county commission and that I have felt disappointed that my particular commissioner in District 2 has not felt particularly open to those conversations or movable in those conversations. And I think that our county deserves a different type of leader in that seat, somebody who is more open and willing to consume information they don't yet know and change their decision-making based on that. One aspect of of your response, at least in in uh, in terms of communication and uh, involving as many viewpoints as possible, I, one one aspect or one sort of issue that's come up, I think, in in these debates and these in this in this election, I think, for all elected offices that are up for possible change up for election, uh, is I guess the communication between all the various entity uh, government uh, local government agencies and entities specifically in terms of responding to the the jail expansion issue but there seems to be also a general issue in in terms of how uh, much communication goes on between those agencies and in, in making sure that uh, they collectively work towards bringing about the change that at least the community has voiced that they that they uh, want and yeah that they that they think is the is the right change to pursue how do you hope to address that issue the sort of disjointed relationship between the various agencies as a commissioner yeah i uh have been hearing a lot of conversation about that from people and people being um just generally disappointed and kind of confused by the disjointedness and sometimes ill-spirited communication between city and county commissions of particular note. And I am really interested in helping to resolve some of that. And so I think that, I think I, I definitely believe that the, in collaborative Uh, working and that I think that our communities are so much better served and our agencies and individual departments are so much better served when you have more voices at the table representing a variety of viewpoints and also the different capacities in which each of us has the the power um, or the resources to affect change. And so really coming into it from from an abundance mentality of what do we have to offer? What do we have to put on the table? Rather than a deficit um, perspective of saying, well, we can't do this. We can't do that. This is not how we've ever done things. We're unable to, to do it this way or we're unable to do it that way. And while I realize that there are parameters in place and, and codes and laws and things that absolutely and policies that determine the trajectory of how decisions are made, that if we come into the room 
and come to the table with a perspective of, with an abundance mentality of, this is what we have to offer. This is the capacity that we do have. This is how we see our part of the solution to affordable housing, for example, and what what money, what staff, what time and resources we have to give to the issue of not enough affordable housing in our community. What can you bring to the table and what capacity do you have to affect new policy or redistribute funding? I think that there has to be a willingness to uh, not forget about the history of things because history informs our future and it informs our decision-making now. But a willingness to not remain stuck in any bad blood, so to speak, you know, that may have existed in any conflict that has happened prior to now. Because if we are county governments and and city governments and community leaders who are forward thinking, um, then we should always be just looking forward to the paths that we have available to us and the opportunities that we have to collaborate on new grant funding projects, to collaborate with uh, other institutions and agencies, whether that's um, universities or community organizations, political organizing initiatives, that we pull from a, a variety of resources and places with different versions of expertise about an issue and have a willingness to say what we bring to the table and then puzzle piece that together and figure out what each of our piece in it is and commit to working towards a, a common goal. So I, that's my big vision for it and how I think that we we get to a place of easier communication with each other. And um, I also, you know, I have a lot of experience um, just facilitating difficult conversations whether that's one-on-one -on -one with clients or coworkers about pretty nuanced issues and biases and privilege and experiences that just the ability to talk through with people how our own lived experiences, how the lens of whatever privileges we have um, and biases we also have, how that informs the way that we show up in conversations and the way that we show up at, to tables and meetings. And so I have a lot of experience in having those conversations one-on-one -on -one and also in, you know, larger group conversations through whether that's staff conversations or support groups and navigating some very different and sometimes seemingly opposite perspectives about any given issue or topic and being able to hold space for everybody's opinions and feelings to be heard and validated, and then figuring out what the path forward to something more positive and healing and um, productive it is. Uh, I've, I've been really lucky at the Willow to have a ton of professional development opportunities, um, you know, through some of the kind of more traditional conferences and stuff that we um, are engaged in in domestic violence work and and victims of crime work and stuff, but also our agency's leadership has made a big investment in um, personal development for staff to learn those facilitation skills and to learn uh, what it really looks like to navigate systems and 
barriers that people are experiencing through a trauma-informed lens with connection at the like central point of that and through an, an art of facilitation training that is all about facilitating pretty difficult conversations and groups that actually that art facilitation training is from Family Peace Initiative, who, who does batters intervention programs. And we were the first domestic violence agency to invite them to come train us on the so that we could gain more skills and how to have really nuanced and tough conversations and move people beyond a space of defensiveness and refusal to acknowledge perhaps their own their own mistakes or their own contributions to harm that they've created and being able to move people to a place of accepting and owning that vulnerably and finding new ways of doing things in their own lives. So I think that those skills will will serve that role a lot in helping to kind of mend some of that disjointed communication and perhaps frustration that exists between some of those entities. I'm I'm not naive enough to believe that all of that can just be erased. <laughs> and um, some of it is kind of the nature of the, the beast to some degree, but I believe that there's real opportunity and capacity to, to all get on the same page enough to find out what our piece of it is and move forward towards a common goal and realize that when we reach that common goal, that feeling will be amazing and the path to it will feel amazing to know that we are each figuring out how to build safer opportunities and more equitable opportunities for people throughout the entire community. This sort of moves us into the next question I have. So one of the first checks on 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 the power of an elected official and the most important checks is public opinion. At the same time, I think elected officials have to uh, or in a sort of uh, precarious situation where they have to weigh um, their own considerations about what the right thing to do is uh, to policy-wise uh, against the sort of, I guess, concerns of, of the public. And when there's maybe a difference in what the, the official thinks should be done and, and what public opinion is at the time, how do you hope to sort of... Uh, address that situation, those situations where there is a sort of a difference? Well, I certainly think there's a lot of nuance to that, as with most things. By and large, though, I know that I am a skilled, active listener and that I, I really pride myself on listening to what people are saying to me. And if it's unclear to me, asking clarifying questions and asking for more information and context to help me understand their position um, and their concerns. And I believe that I'm I'm a really critical thinker and sometimes can admittedly take some time to get to a decision point um, because I'll mull over uh, all the various angles and perspectives and kind of data and anecdotes that I have to consider. But I, I'm committed to being a critical thinker because I know that snap decisions are usually have consequences um, and that decisions deserve time. And so I'm pretty committed to holding space for people to tell me what their concerns are and and really listening to that and taking it into consideration and, and ultimately knowing that whatever decision points I come to are always going to disagree with some people who may or may not bring their concerns to me about that. And so I think I heard part of your question is asking me if I would work to convince the public of my position about things. 
while I certainly hope that I can speak about why I have such convicted feelings about any given topic or decision point in a way that might be compelling to people or open their mind to a different perspective that they weren't considering before. I certainly don't think that it's my job to convince people to think or feel differently by and large. And so if someone is coming to me to tell me what their concerns are, or that they're concerned with the decision I have made or perspective that I have, I want to give space to that and honor that and know that it's valid. Uh, It's completely valid for people to take issue with the things that I believe in or the decisions that I might make that they don't believe impact them in a positive way. So it will always be important to me to honor that and validate that and be transparent about the fact with in some of those conversations, inevitably, the concerns and issues that people present to me may not move me to a different decision point. Sometimes they will and sometimes they won't. And I, that's just something that I know from life so far. (laughs) Sometimes people's expression of concern or, you know, attempts to compel me to think of something differently have absolutely moved me and evolved my way of thinking about a particular issue. But sometimes they, they have not. And I know that that will remain true. And I'm always... I'm committed to explaining my position and my decision point to the best of my ability to anybody who wants to learn, who wants to understand why I think the way that I think about something. If that makes sense. I want to give space to people to question me and will also be completely honest and transparent with people when I am... Uh, so decided on something that I am not going to change my decision point about a policy or about a change in how we finance certain departments, a budget decision. There will always be somebody who questions the choice that I make and that's valid and that's how it should be. And I remain open to that. But I, I don't believe that I will spend energy trying to convince anybody to think differently than they do. All all that I can really commit to is leading by example and like leading by my values and hoping that the way that I express my values through policy decisions and budget decisions creates more care for more people and has a more positive ripple effect on people's lives throughout the community and hope that 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 will speak for itself to people. Thank you, Shannon. This uh, next question is regarding another topic I think that's been discussed throughout these debates and and the forums is how there's this issue uh, with the county gathering the data it needs to assess just how effective or uh, ineffective it's being in in, in certain uh, services that it provides. How do you hope to address that issue? in terms of data gathering? And two, how do you hope to connect data to particular prescriptions? Or generally, what sort of values do you hope to represent in your your policy decisions? You know, in terms of the the data collection, I think that that is that's something that's been very concerning to me as both a voter and somebody who works adjacent to the system that I see have such significant impact on people's daily lives and all these 
multi-layered ways, especially in the past few years of this conversation about a jail expansion, to not have the full breadth of data that should be available to us as a community when determining that issue has been dis- disappointing and also confusing to me um, that it hasn't been a priority for all county departments, all offices to be held accountable to making that data available and to having a, a timeline. I, to me, it seems like there has to be a, a pretty, I guess, simple formula, so to speak, for the different county agencies that are that have that data about the people that are going through the systems and that are being served by those systems. Who are they and and what what introduced them into these different systems and what has been their experience throughout it? So it, it seems to me that there has to be a pretty simple formula for prescribing that each department, most especially our law enforcement and legal departments, are to be collecting data by a certain degree of metrics and that there is a timeline by which that data is made available to the county commission and to the to the public for for processing it whether that's to use for studying what gaps are not being filled and and how issues that exist right now compare to issues that existed last year or 2 years ago that that should be a constant review process so i think that we, we have to tighten that up and figure out where why that hasn't been happening with any sort of continuity um, and how do we make that a priority because without proper data, um, we can't make very informed choices about things and information is power. If we don't have information available to us about how people are experiencing, the people in our community are experiencing these various departments and agencies throughout our community, how are we to make informed decisions on their behalf? Um, so, so I just that has to be fixed. Even without all that data available to us from the past few years, that there's some things that are pretty evident in our community, which is that by and large, folks want a more justice-oriented commission, a more justice-oriented court system, um, more justice-oriented housing opportunities and accessibility to that, along with other social services. So I think some things are quite obvious anecdotally to me and quite obvious as a result of um, of votes that we've had on ballot measures. Uh, Douglas County wants a bigger investment and sees a huge need for addressing the crisis of um, mental health and behavioral health in our community and the overall lacking resources that just have not been able to meet the, the full need of the housing and mental health crisis in our community and and realizing that all of those things are interconnected and that those systems have to function well together and communicate with each other about the the gaps in services that they're seeing the the barriers that they're facing on a bureaucratic level on a policy level that are stopping them from getting the additional funding that they need the you know, policy support for implementing new programs uh, that could really help and serve a lot more people. So I think that 
I'm I'm very interested in not spending an incredible amount of time on it, but being very intentional about having listening sessions, talkback sessions, uh, things where that are intentionally designed for people, especially like leaders of our social service agencies and human services throughout the county that are um, really connected to that have their finger on the pulse of what people are struggling with every day, that we need to be hearing what those people's experiences are, what the barriers they're facing to having a, a bigger and more positive impact on the populations they serve, and how do local governments have the capacity to remove some of those barriers or lower them and make those things more accessible. So I think that one of the probably the biggest thing that the county commission is charged with is the balancing of the budget every year. And um, that document, as Shannon Portillo says so frequently and has really taught me in my time of knowing her that that, that document is a values document. It is what speaks to the values of our community and where are we putting our money and where who are we investing in and what are we investing in for them. And I believe that we've got some real room to grow there and that we um, could be spending more money on creative solutions to housing issues, on joining more agencies, um, already doing the work together to really collaborate on what some of those solutions are to establishing housing first for people so that from there they can have more physically safe, more emotionally safe, more mentally safe lives for themselves. And with that, they can build stability. They can start to heal some of the aspects of the intergenerational trauma that so many people are experiencing in our community. And I think that There's a lot of opportunities to shift money that is being spent on uh, law enforcement and legal systems in our community to human services that are about caring for people and about uh, connecting people to the, the tangible resources that they need to stabilize themselves. As somebody who does crisis work, it is, it's extremely upsetting to see so many people hit into barrier after barrier after barrier because housing prices keep going up, because utility rates keep going up, because and because now unemployment rates are, of course, skyrocketing. You know, so that's the added layer really escalating the crisis. And our job is so much about those of us who work with folks experiencing homelessness, especially, I think, which, of course, intersects with all these other issues the agencies address in our community. It's always uh, spinning our wheels and doing um, crisis management with people. And there's not much space to ever get to a place of really doing capacity building and sustainable lifestyle changes for people that want to have a different life than they've so far been able to have. But that takes resources and it takes people who have the, the availability to continuously be there and show up and support people in healing and connecting the dots of the different resources they need in order to not just survive, but actually thrive in our community. Um, We spend a lot of time just helping folks survive kind of the basic, just survive physically, uh, you know, most days. And I'm really interested in 
having our policies and our budgets reflect more opportunity and more community care model, mutual aid oriented ways in which we care for each other and we take responsibility for each other and really center the most marginalized and vulnerable people in that conversation always. Because if we can help create a foundation that is more safe and more stable for the most vulnerable people in our community, that is, that's a stronger foundation to keep building on. And we just create more opportunity and more overall community health. I think when we're all collectively working together. I'd like to end with a sort of discussion about the story you'd like to be told or hope to be told at, at the end of your uh, first term as commissioner. Thank you. That's a hopeful note to to end on. I like it. <laughs> I hope that people will look back on my first term uh, and my service as a county commissioner with appreciation for how much I listened to the voices of this community and how actively I worked to uplift those voices. And most importantly, that I uh, was accountable to the the fact that I am here because of vulnerable and marginalized people who have experienced injustices and who I refuse to accept that status quo for or on behalf of anymore. Um, And the work that I do as an advocate, the work that I do as an activist is centered in wanting to bring more justice to more people and know that justice looks like a bunch of different things and that people have their own definitions of what justice means for them and their experiences. And I believe in honoring that and am here because I want to uplift the voices of people who have been ignored, who have been silenced and not listened to. And so I hope that those people will feel listened to it and uh, acted upon on, on behalf of by me, because I do believe that, I mean, I'm here because of my privilege. Um, I'm here because I have access, because I had, because I have a full-time job um, with a decent salary and the ability to pay a filing fee that would be 10% of my salary as a county commissioner. I have access to be here because of my white privilege, because of my economic privilege, and because of my overall health and and stability. And I, I know that, and I want to keep that truth central to uh, my role as a commissioner and the fact that I am not, I do not exist there at that table in the boardroom every week to uh, make a name for myself or to use it as a stepping stone to some bigger quote unquote, bigger positions in politics that it's really about wanting to serve this community that raised me. And I, I mean, to some degree, I, it's a, it's an act of gratitude for me to hopefully be elected in this position and have the opportunity to bring other people's voices to the decision-making table that have largely been left out and ignored and not represented and honor that those people's voices have a place in decision-making at the county level. And I am just an advocate on behalf of them. 
and that their collective voice matters far more than than my voice does. Hey, great. And, and so if, if you want to know more about uh, Shannon and, and her campaign, you can go to shannonreed-dgco.com. Again, that's shannonreed-dgco.com. Uh, with that, Shannon, I'd like to thank you for joining me here today and dis- discussing you and and, and your uh, who you are and and your campaign. Thank you so much, David. And uh, uh, with that, I'd like to thank all of you for listening, and I'll see you next time on the next episode of Lawrence Talks.